Welcome to Words and Nerds, tiny podcast, big ideas. Now here's your host, Danny V. Thank you for tuning into this very special live stream with Words and Nerds and the queen of crime fiction, Candace Fox, to talk about her new book, The Chase. This live stream will also be available as a Words and Nerds podcast episode. I'm also super excited because we're live streaming from the, not only the Words and Nerds Facebook page, but also a gorgeous bookshop in Cronulla, Anna's Shop Around the Corner, and our favourite Melbourne bookshop in Northcote, Neighbourhood Books. Tonight's special event is hosted by myself, Danny V, and author Adrian Beck. But if you want more Candice, she also appears in episodes 105 and 159. If you have a question for Candice tonight, please pop it in the comments and we'll try and get to as many as we can because we're also giving away a copy of The Chase to one lucky viewer who makes a comment during tonight's interview, thanks to Penguin Random House. Adrian, would you like to introduce our very special guest tonight? Absolutely. Thank you very much, Danny. And now Hades, Candace Fox's first novel, won the Ned Kelly Award for Best Debut in 2014 from the Australian Crime Writers Association. The sequel, Eden, won the Ned Kelly Award for Best Crime Novel in 2015, making Candace only the second author to win these accolades back to back. She's also the author of the best-selling Fall, Crimson Lake and Redemption Point, all shortlisted for Ned Kelly and David Awards. In 2015, Candace began collaborating with James Patterson. Their first novel together, Never Never, set in the vast Australian outback, was a huge bestseller in Australia and went straight to number one on the New York Times bestseller list in the US and also to the top of the charts in the UK. So it's time to welcome the fabulous Candace Fox to this Words and Nerds special event. Candace, how are you going? Hello. <laughs> Thanks for having me, guys. And look at the chase. It's fast-paced. It's page-turning. It's such a mind-blowing idea, Candice. Can you give us an elevator pitch for people who, the crazy people who haven't yet picked it up? <laughs> okay, sure. Um, so The Chase uh, is um, a novel about a mass breakout from a prison outside Las Vegas. 653 inmates of this facility go running all at once. Uh, basically, terrorists hold up the facility and, uh, you know, make demands that um, the warden release absolutely everyone, and that's what happens. Um, so it was an ambitious project, and for that reason, I have made sure that there's something for everyone in there. So among the inmates who are going running, you have Homer Carrington, who is a vicious serial killer. You have John Cradle, who was accused of murdering his uh, wife and child. You've got Celine Osborne, who is the death row supervisor, who is out to get Cradle. Uh, um, for very, she has very personal reasons for um, hating him and, and for wanting to see him back behind bars. You also have uh, Trinity Parker, who is um, a very angry, narcissistic US marshal who is using this opportunity to, to hunt after inmates, her favourite thing to do. Um, and there are little vignettes along the way as you as you move through this novel of different inmates and how they're dealing with this breakout. The main the main thread is John Cradle. Did he kill his family, um, or is he in fact innocent? And Celine uh, Celine Osborne being after him and her reasons for being after him. Mm. It's an incredible book, and when I was reading it, I, I I've actually this isn't very literary, Candace, I'm afraid, but I was. Um, <laughs> Reminded of Con Air and The Fugitive. Yes. 
Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so um, I'm wondering if they were any influence at all or whether that's just me. Yeah, yeah. I knew, look, I'm, I've always been interested in prisons. Um, you know, that comes from my childhood. My dad was a prison officer. Um, he worked at a, a, a Sydney prison for over 30 years and he would bring his prison stories home. Um, and the, the, the facility he worked at would have the Christmas party every year at at the prison. So I've been in and out of prison since I was a kid, you know, going and hanging around and running through the yard and pretending to climb the fences and knocking on the windows of cell doors and this kind of thing to speak to the inmates. Um, and yeah, and, and that, that translated into what I read and what I viewed and what I did. I was very, just very interested in prisons. My mother was the same. Um, she was writing to up to two, she, she had 20 prison inmates that she was writing to uh, at her maximum all at the same time. Um, and so she was just fascinated and she would volunteer with, um, with, with prisons, with the visitors, um, helping the visitors. So, um, yeah, I watched Con Air a million times as a kid and, and The Fugitive as well as another one and most recently Escape at Danny Mora was another that just blew my mind and Escape from Alcatraz and um, and I so I sat down to write this novel thinking I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get this prison thing out of my system, you know, I'm going to do a big prison novel um, and, and, I, and I thought to myself what hasn't been done? You know, so you've had a single inmate breaking out. You've had multiple inmates breaking out. You haven't really, there hasn't really been like a big blockbuster with a woman breaking out, but I'd just done a very female-focused novel, so I didn't want to go there. So I started thinking to myself, what hasn't been done, you know? Uh, what haven't I seen? What would I like to see? And the whole time the, the, the publishers are saying to me, we want something big you know, really big, just go for it, you know. They're giving me licence to just go for it. And I was like, oh, what if everyone breaks out, <laughs> you know. And I, as soon as I said it, I went, wow, how do you write that? <laughs> how do you do that? Um, yeah, yeah I, just, I just went for it. I went for it. Yeah. I wonder how you do do that because that's uh, it's a huge uh, it's a huge concept and multiple characters all going off in different directions. So um, was it? Was it easy, or was it like? Did you have uh, like? Did you become like one of the, your your serial killers in your books and have like uh, maps and things all over the wall where people go and what they do and all that sort of stuff? See, the thing is, see, I I don't do the maps on the wall or the notebooks or anything like that. It's all it's all in my brain, which makes me a very distractible kind of person um, yeah. and a bit of airhead at times because I'm not focusing on what I'm doing. I'm thinking about other stuff, which is I'll end up putting my keys in the fridge and, you know, leaving the car running and stuff like that um, because I'm distractible. But how do you do this? I, I had a lot of experience writing multiple perspectives and multiple time frames across, you know, The Chase is my 14th novel. So um, I think had I not done that a few times it would have been a very difficult uh novel to write mm. i think the the key is um the thing you got to do is not frustrate the reader the reader doesn't like to not know who they are and where they are for very yeah. long they'll give you like a paragraph so so every time i started a chapter i just had to locate the people and be like okay you're with john cradle 
and it's present day, you know, and and then because they just don't like to be unsettled for very long. Um, You know, I just mentioned people's names. Um, You're in a diner with a guy named Leon or whatever his name ended up being. I can't remember. Um, (laughs) People go, okay, this is a vignette. Like I don't need to know this guy specifically. So, yeah, I'm sure there are writers who would do it with beautiful post-it notes and and, Mm. and images and bullet journals and stuff but no it was just all in my brain and um i think this novel is a reflection of how i was at the time because i just had my daughter violet and when you have a baby she's my first baby Mm. every suddenly it's every minute every minute counts you can't spend an hour doing anything because you don't have an hour if she goes down for a nap you might have 20 minutes you might have 17 minutes you might have seven minutes you know so um my world was very what am i going to spend i've got 15 minutes okay so i can clean the whole house in that time um and, and so that the novel is like that it's very attention deficit it's just like a little slice here a little slice there a little slice there yeah. it's okay. tremendously fun to write yeah and i never got bored not once <laughs> no, it reads like you're having an absolute ball when you're writing it. So um, hopefully you were. Um, uh, we've got plenty of questions that are coming through and you can leave a question for Candice and I'm going to get to a couple of them. Then we've got a very special guest uh, that's going to join us as well. So a first question here uh, is from Sylvia. Love your crime fiction. Apart from your childhood experiences, what research did you do for The Chase? Mm. Um a lot of research um, with this novel happened just when I was doing weird things in my life. So <laughs> when I was in, like, this is the kind of stuff I do anyway, and it just it just filters into whatever I'm writing. So a few years ago I was in Los Angeles and um, I was watching a true crime documentary. I was living there. I was living there for a year with my husband. And I, I, I saw this documentary on this serial killer named Lawrence Bittica, Um, and I was so fascinated with Lawrence and what he had done. It was one of the worst, the worst, he worst of the worst serial killers. People said um, at the time that he was worse than Charles Manson, what he did, um, what him and his partner together did. Um, and so I thought, you know what, I'm going to go and visit that guy because I, I – yeah. <laughs> I have some questions. I want to write to him and I see if I can visit. I want to look him in the face and I want to, I want to see what he's, you know, what, what he is. Because people say this is a monster. This is a, a walking incarnation of Satan, you know. And I, I, I was, I had written about eleven books about killers and I'd never spoken to one face to face. And I thought. That seems ridiculous. If I want to do my job properly, I should go and um, speak to one. So going there, going to death row um, at San Quentin, speaking to Lawrence, um, writing to him for a few years, uh, I took that experience and I split it into multiple things. So part of what happens in the chase, you know, with the prison and the atmosphere in the prison um, and death row and what Celine encounters working there, that's from meeting Lawrence. Um, And Homer Carrington, the serial killer, part of that, that's from meeting Lawrence. Um, And there's a serial killer in the novel, um, Raymond Ackerman, 
Um, and and part of that is he's a, like he's an old man, he's a grumpy old man, and part of that is from Lawrence's letters, how he would write about other inmates and his voice and his um, his way of being. So one thing happens to you, and you you just try to use it as much as you can. So that was one thing that I did. I also uh, took a tour of Lithgow Maximum Security Prison because it's been couple of decades you know since i was in a prison other than death row um so i wrote to a friend of mine in new south wales corrections and i said could i do you think i could get like a tour or even just a look just a little look and he was like yeah what kind of prison you want to go in like minimum maximum old new what do you want and i just thought they're so great being me. <laughs> no one else would get this. Um, and it's not, it's just not weird because it's Candace Fox. She's doing it for work, you know, let her in. Uh, yeah. And so I took, I took a tour. I had an all, all access, all areas tour of a maximum security prison. And I, I talked to the governor um, and interviewed her for an hour. And I talked to the guards and I didn't talk to any inmates because um, I think that would have been a bit of a security thing. But yeah, so there was that. Yeah. And um, yeah, yeah. Those are the major things that contributed to this novel, I think. Yeah. Well, that's pretty full on. Uh visiting <laughs> visiting for those times. Life, I, I, I believe that to you myself. Um, I want to ask you, going into maximum security, what really surprised you? Like what was something you didn't expect when you went in there and you saw it? You know, it's silly because I've I've spent a lot I've spent my whole career writing about criminality. I, I feel as though I have a good understanding of criminality. But I went into Lithgow and I I walked into a, um, a workshop there and there are probably 70 or 80 guys all hanging around in this workshop. Some of them were working, some are not. They were sewing hospital sheets and hospital scrubs. Um, and I looked and I saw this guy and he was really young and really handsome. And I just thought, I was shocked by that. I thought, what the hell are you doing in here with a face like that? You must be 21 years old. How did you How did you get here to, mm. to the worst, one of the worst prisons in the country? Mm. Uh, and, and a part of my brain just went, don't doors just open for you wherever you go with a face like that? But, mm. but then you go... Well, that's just a cultural understanding that if you're a criminal, you must be ugly. Like if you're a pedophile, you're an ugly old man. You're not a handsome young man. And, I, you know, and it's just it's that expectation that I've grown up with. Like if, if someone said to you, dress up as a criminal and go to a costume party, you'd wear like you'd make like fake scars and, you you know, you'd do like dark eyes and scary stuff and, that's not what criminality is. Uh, mm. Half of the half of these, I always say about prisons that there are people in there who are monsters. You can't fix them. They're just born like that, and they're just bad. And then there are people who make mistakes, like normal people who who are good people usually, and they just make a terrible mistake one day. Mm. And then mm. there are morons, which is the other M. <laughs> Monsters, morons, and people who make mistakes. Um, you know, uh, so that's the thing that that shocked me. Yeah, and just uh, just the little things that they were doing in there. Um, you know, the sewing of the hospital sheets. Next time I'm in hospital, I'll be like, "Wow, <laughs> who made this? 
And they were, oh, they wow. were assembling, you know, when you get on a plane, I won't say the airline, but those free headphones that they give you, um, yeah. they were assembling them and putting the foam things on them, bagging them up, and they were doing that yeah. for a certain airline. So next time I fly that airline, I'll be like, hey, <laughs> I know where they are. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. Mm. Hey, uh, we've got plenty of questions coming through, so please keep them coming. If you're watching this awesome live stream podcast event, uh, special event with Words and Nerds and our partners, Anna's Shop Around the Corner, which is a fabulous uh, Sydney Friends uh, independent bookstore, and the same with Neighbourhood Books, who's our Victorian uh, partner here on this terrific live stream. But before we get to those comments, we've got a very special guest joining us for some questions, don't we, Danny? We do. I'm so excited to have this person join us. Who is it, Adrian? Who is it? <laughs> well, it is our very good friend, Ben Hobson. And we know uh, Ben has done written some terrific books, Snake Island and To Become a Whale, uh, his two fantastic uh, works there. And he's going to join us because he is a Candace Fox fan, like we all are Candace Fox <laughs> fans. And he has got some extra special questions to ask you, Candace. So, Ben Hobson, welcome to this special event. Hey, Ben. Hello. Hello. Thanks for having me. Hi, I'm very excited to be here. It's I'm ready to be ben. <laughs> <laughs> um, Yeah, uh, Candice was one of the first people who were really very nice to me at my very first uh, Writers' Festival, and she oh. she spoke very nicely to me, and I must have looked like a deer in headlights with all the people around me, but Candice was very sweet. So thank you, Candice. Oh, Is there any great. chance that Candice thought you were a criminal and she was doing research? <laughs> Well, it's hard to say. Like, I don't know now that I've been listening to what she's been saying. So, yeah, maybe. Maybe I'm in one of her books. Who knows? Who knows? <laughs> All right, now, Ben, we believe, we, we believe you've got some hard-hitting questions for Candice. Yeah, look, I'm interested, Candice. Now, you wrote, because I've got the book here, and I read it in two days, with children to care for. <laughs> Congratulations. So, thank excellent. you. I know. It was, it was an accomplishment. Uh, my mum bought it for me, actually, this book. Um, but I love this dedication, your dedication. Oh, thank you. Yeah. I thought that was really sweet. And I think you do a lot of really cool stuff for aspiring authors. So my, my questions are a little related to the craft of writing, if that's okay. Sure, um, sure, sure. But I was wondering, what is the best writing advice you've ever received ever and how have you applied that to what you do now? Like what was, what's one of those gems that you could hand out to us? Um, oh, I have so much to say. Well, what is the best? What is the best one? Uh, something that Jim, um, James Patterson, I write with James Patterson, so I, I take all my writing advice from him uh, these days because He's very accessible. I could just ask him stuff on the phone. And he's the world's best-selling author. So he's doing something right. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, something he's constantly asking me when we write together is, why do I care about this guy? Why do I care what happens? Like, mm -hmm. make me care. Um, and and I think that... Um, that's that's what I try to do. Uh, you know, you have to care about the situation, or you have to care about the character on that first page. You know, 
and 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 if you think to yourself when you open a book and that you know you go to chapter one there's the there's the one and then there's the blank and then there's your page like that that is as far as you've got it's like two paragraphs to get that person who is picking up that book in a bookstore and going oh yeah okay and giving a little bit of read nah, it's not my thing you know that that's as much as you get um and that's as an established author, you know, that's with a book in a bookstore. Um, if you are an aspiring author, you get even less time because um, <laughs> <laughs> the publisher is getting like 5,000, you know, in Australia, they're getting like 5,000 submissions uh, a year. So they're looking for that first line, that first one or two lines. So I have to care about the situation. I have to care about the person. Now you think about um, how that plays out in, in real-life novels. Um, you know, you think about uh, Lee Child's first book, which, which starts with I was arrested in Eno's diner. Okay, so I say to myself, oh, well, I have a first-person, you know. I've lost sound. Sorry. Of, um, sorry? It's all okay. No, no, it's all okay. Yes. Okay. You have a first-person perspective of someone being arrested, so I care about that situation. Um, you know, or you think about um, the first line of Jim's uh, Women's Murder Club, which is one of his more successful series, um, and it's it's Lindsay Boxer staring on a she's standing on a balcony cursing God and this kind of thing. I care about her because she's really angry, um, and I've been angry in my life, and I want to find out what she's angry about. Um, so 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 yeah, you have to you have to create a problem that people care about and someone who's dealing with it that people care about in those first few pages and then you just have to keep them caring don't lose them for the next eighty thousand, and then you can have easy man yeah yeah no 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 trouble with doing that yeah um i have one more question if that's okay do i have time for one more yeah, go for cool. it, mate. Please, thank you. Um, my other question, this is a darker question, Candice, which I'm sure you'll be very fond of, but the question <laughs> is this. When, can you describe to us the darkest moment in your writing career where something happened and you just, you're like, I'm just, I'm, I don't know what to do. I don't, I can't keep doing this. And you're just full of, you know, that, that depth of thing where you had to rise up and you had to – I'm hoping for a good thing at the end here where we rise up and yeah. conquer a thing, but when was that darkest moment for you? In my whole writing career or since publish? Whole writing career, from the very start to right to now. Yeah, I mean, I um, I had 200 rejections, as people know, um, before I was published. I had uh, – four failed novels so i was used to failure um and uh <laughs> as used to it as you can get you know what i mean yeah, like sure, sure. Cuts, yeah. uh and I, I i had a lot of close close calls you know with getting published like a publisher at a major publishing house would say to me um you know, oh i found your book out of the slush pile and i really like it so i'm going to take it to an acquisitions meeting oh the meeting went really really well so now we're going to go even further than that and oh um you know uh tell us what you would write if you wrote a book too and then i'm going to call you on tuesday so you get you get this far and then they yeah. call you 
reject you, you know, and that had happened to me yeah. a few times. But um, the, it was a false start that I had a publisher, um, an independent publisher in the Isle of Man, like I had to literally Google where the Isle of Man was when I got this publishing deal. It was my first publishing deal ever. And it was literally the only person on the planet who had actually said, yes, I'm going to publish you to me, who had said those words. I'd printed it out and looked at the piece of paper, looked at the email and was like, it is actually real. It says that. Um and uh, and it came, uh, but this was for Hades as well. Mm. And uh, I was so excited. Uh, and he said, yeah, it'll take about a year, you know, by the time we get through the edits. So we were editing and I was so excited and we were talking about cover concepts. And, like, I'd made, in my mind I'd made it. Someone had said yes. I didn't, I didn't care who the hell it was. Someone had said yes. He was on the other side of the planet and a tiny little cookie cutter. <laughs> island off the side of the uk someone said yes and i was going around to everyone i knew saying i've got this international publishing deal there are gonna be books you're gonna be able to hold my story in your hand anyway um so while i was waiting for that to happen my marriage fell apart really spectacularly one night very unexpectedly and that caused a huge drama in my family and everyone everyone around me just surged in to protect me and love me and support me through this thing that had happened and while this was going on the publisher just quietly said oh yeah i can't publish you anymore i've run out of oh. money yeah <laughs> and i was so horrified by the whole situation that I, it's almost like I couldn't ask for sympathy on that. I was getting too much sympathy about my breakup already, so I just, mm. I just didn't tell anyone. I was so humiliated and so disappointed and so surprised and shocked and and everything that I just didn't tell anyone. So then, mm. you know, a year later I got the deal with Penguin Random House and I said, hey, I'm being published by Penguin Random House. Oh, my God. And people were like, weren't you already getting published? I'm like, forget about that. <laughs> yeah that was devastating yeah but disappointments happen all the time like i was saying to you before we started talking people think you get to a certain level in your career and uh it's easy now which is not <laughs> and they also think that you never get rejected or things never fall in a heap or no one's ever mean to you or or anything like that which is just not true it's just not mm. true i try things and they don't work and sometimes people are snarky to me and sometimes i have bad ideas and i write garbage and it's just the same <laughs> now as it always was it's mm. just you know. hmm. yeah i think that oh. was a, a victorious rise at the end i think we yeah. got there so yeah. Oh, that yeah. was very dark. I appreciate that. Thank you, Candice. And thanks, guys, for having me. It's really cool. Yeah. Thank you, Ben. Thanks for joining ben, thanks, us. Thanks for um, my pleasure. The, thanks for making the interview dark, Ben. I appreciate it. No worries. That's my job. <laughs> See you later. See you, dude. That was uh, Ben Hobson joining us, which is fantastic to have Ben on board. Uh, we've got plenty of questions from viewers as well. Danny, would you like us to uh, churn through a few of those? Yeah, let's do that. We love viewers. Okay, terrific. We've got one here from Cassie Roberts. Uh, how and why did Candace choose the location? Why did you choose, yeah, the desert? Yeah, the desert, the Nevada desert. Um, yeah. For Chase, I have, that is. 
yeah, I have been to Nevada a bunch of times. I love it there. I really love places where um, dis disparate um, elements clash together. LA is like that. You know, you're in the Hollywood Hills and you're standing in front of a, a, a you know, a $30 million mansion and some celebrity lives there and there's security guards everywhere. And then you look and there's a deer, like a, just an eight point <laughs> buck deer just standing in the road, like, hey, hey, I'm just crossing the road, don't mind me. You're like, this doesn't fit together. This is crazy, you know. And you've got this glittering city with these these huge billboards and it's Dwayne Johnson with this $50,000 watch and then underneath the, the billboard is this homeless camp where people are naked and washing themselves in the street and shooting up and, uh, like, it's right next to each other. And I find that um, Nevada is like that. Las Vegas just is this little, like, rock um, in the middle of the desert. It's like a sea and it's just there and it's sparkly, sparkly jewel and you go into it and it's just everyone is there. you got priests standing on corners prophesizing about like gambling and the devil and all this and you've got prostitutes and you've got celebrities, you've got guys in suits, you've got mums pushing a pram like it's, and it all just lives in this little, this little sparkly little thing and the rest of it is just desert. You know, it's just you walk out there and you will die. It's there's nothing out there, you know. Yeah. And it, why did you pick this spot to put this city here? Yeah. Um, so I, I love that. I, I love the idea that Pronghorn, the um, correctional facility that I write about in this novel, um, is just stuck there in the middle of the desert like a boat in the sea and there's nothing around, you know, and all these guys just flee it like rats. And some of them are going to swim and some of them are going to sink and, and John Cradle's getting off, you know, and made me think of people getting off the Titanic, you know. It's like, how, what, what do I do now? <laughs> like, how do I, where do I go from here? Um, uh, so that's what I was trying to do. Um, and I, I'm not finished writing about America yet. I, mm. I lived in America for a solid year um, and I, I fell in love with that place and its people. And, um, yeah, I, I, I wrote 11 books set in Australia and uh, I, I've written a couple with Jim set in the U.S. and a couple of my own set in the U.S. and I'm not done yet, I don't mm. think. Mm. I'll come home soon <laughs> well, we've actually got a question on that. Um, Gathering Dark and The Chase are both based in the US. What's it like moving from your novel settings from Australia to America? Did your time in LA help you? And I wonder also, uh, what do your American readers make of your Australian-based novels? No, yeah, I mean, I've always done really well um, in, in the US. Um, I know exactly how lucky I am that I do do well in the US because it's hard to make that translation. I think people sometimes pick up an Australian book and they want to see a really Australian book, like they want to go to Australia in the book. Mm. They want to see kangaroos and cobras and magpies and people saying g'day, um, you know. Uh, so they're either attracted to the book because it's Australian you know, or because it has a hook. Um, so people have been picking up my books because uh, because they have a hook and the Australianness is kind of like a, a, a bonus, I think, sometimes. Um, 
And what was it like making the leap? Um, it was a little. It was a little hard to start off with. Um, James Patterson and I wrote the inn. I uh, believe was my first thing that I'd said over there, and then I wrote mm -hmm. Gathering Dark after that. So yeah. uh, the inn is set north of Boston, and I knew that I was going to do it. So uh, I really paid attention to the setting and the people and the smelled the air and I closed my eyes and I was like, what does it feel like to be here? Like I did it very intentionally. Just gathering dark, I wrote while I was home. So I had, to, it was harder. I was like, you know, where does that street go? And and what is it, what can you order there? And what's on the menu there? And, and, um, and, and things like that. So I had to watch a lot of, uh, TV set in LA to get the get the feeling back. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> oh, very interesting. Thank you. Yeah. Now, Candice, you said before, which was terrifying, that you know even published authors just have that tiny little page after chapter one to hook people in, mm. and the chase certainly did that. <laughs> the chase certainly did that with it, with its moral, you know, moral problem, and you know. I won't give anything away, but I, I thought, what would I do if I was in that situation? And of course, you know what you do if your kids are at stake, you know, there's no question. Mm -hmm. But I always find those kind of grey areas of morality really intriguing. Is that why you wanted to explore them? Because everyone had to ask the question, well, what would you do, you know, yeah. in this situation? I think that um, one of the driving forces when you're writing crime uh, is for people to be uncomfortable. The more uncomfortable they are, the faster they read. And so you just don't get a moment in this book to sit down, like to put it down and go, I got I to do the vacuuming. So I'll put this here, I'll do the vacuuming, you know, and then I'll come back. It's like I didn't want anyone to go, oh, it's safe to put this down now. I can take a breath because there's no... No taking of a breath in this book. That was my intention. Um, uh, what was the question again? <laughs> <laughs> just about the, the moral. That's all right. Just about the well, complexities and the questions of morality and you know. Yeah, yeah. So, so I, I I present you with a, a question uh, up front. Um, if it was your wife and your child um, mm. in jeopardy, and you had to to endanger people that are not in front of you, you know, the, you have to let these guys out, and maybe they'll commit crimes. You know, all you have to do is flip a switch. You may you may be causing someone's death at some point, you know, but the thing that's tangible for you is it's your family on the bus and it's mm. your it's your kid. What would you do? You know, and people will flip through those pages to find out what those individual guards actually do. And that that's uh, uh, something that's the first time I make you uncomfortable in this book and then I just keep doing it. I keep doing it. So, uh, you know, if, 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 if you had this kind of crime in your background, would you chase him as hard? Or if, if you know, if you could plant this evidence, would you do it? And, and yeah, you just got to ask, you have to have an active reader. Crime is, is an active genre. You want active readers. Um, yeah. The only genre that I think is as active is romance, really, because you're asking those readers to get into this fantasy with you and think about if that guy was coming on to you like that, how would you like 
And what would mm. you do with between the sheets? Like it's really <laughs> active. Um, would you marry him? Would you let him take your shirt, rip his shirt off like that? You know, um, so crime, in crime, you trying to get that, stir up that active reader, you know, like a do you? think he's lying what does that mean with the phone numbers you know and and you're constantly asking mm. yeah very good <laughs> i love that so um, like, i'm gonna be thinking about that all the time now candace would you, you know, let him rip your shirt off it's a great analogy yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. well candace Fox makes you uncomfortable i think that should be the tagline that's uh, yeah. um now, we need to thank Anna's Shop Around the Corner, who are our Sydney bookshop partners, and the wonderful Neighbourhood Books, who are our Victorian bookshop partners, who are also live-streaming this event. And some of you may be watching this through their Facebook sites. Uh, if you are, please send us questions. We've got plenty of questions, and we're going to get some more for Candice. But someone also might win themselves a copy of Candice's new book. Is that correct, Danny? Am I hearing this correctly? Correct. Thanks to Penguin Random House, we're going to pick uh, a viewer who comments just randomly uh, and mm. they will get a copy of this fabulous book and you will uh, have to take two days off work because you won't put it down once you pick it up. That's the point, right? <laughs> That's exactly right. Even if you've got kids like Ben Hobson, it still only takes two <laughs> days to get through, okay? That's just how it works. Uh, we've got a question. We've got some questions here. A little one based on kind of what you were talking about just then about making people uncomfortable and keep asking them questions as readers. Uh, Veronica asks, Veronica Lando, what a cool name, Veronica Lando, I can never seem to put your books down. What are your top tips for writing a page turner? Hmm. Hmm. Uh, you yeah, it was like I was saying, you never want to give people a safe moment. Uh, that, is, that is to put the book down. Uh, that's something Jim taught me. Every single chapter has hmm. to end with... Uh, and things are about to go really bad, like that kind of line. You're not as obvious yeah. as that, but you never, you never want to end a chapter by saying, uh, "And then I went home and went to sleep." And <laughs> 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 the reader will go, "Oh, you know what? I should probably go to sleep myself." Um, <laughs> you, you never, never end because people, people are creatures of habit. They don't, they don't stop reading in the middle of a paragraph. They don't stop reading, you know, one line from the top. They stop reading at the end of chapters, at the end of pages, and at the end of sections. You know? So just keep those sections uh, tight, you know, just tiny little cliffhangers and tiny little moments of mm. everything is not okay. It's, like, it's getting worse. You better hang in to see mm. you know, if things are going to be okay. Yeah. And you have to start... You have to start, basically you have to start and finish every single section um, explosively because the, the other thing that people do is they'll read the end of the chapter and they'll go, oh, man, it looks like things are, going about, are, are about to go really bad. I better tune in. And then they'll glance, you know, they'll glance at the next chapter. And if that first line isn't, you know, something that is tempting, you know, if that line is something like, so I went to the warehouse where he said he would be, and you go, oh, he's gone there. Okay, well, I'll keep, you know, um, writing. It's it's really you're um, you're just pulling all the time. You're pulling the reader along. You don't you don't want to lose them, you know. Um, you don't want to give them a moment to get distracted and fall off the hook. You got to keep the keep the tension on, uh, and that's just. By analyzing their behavior, how does their eyeball go down the page? What are those moments you need to hit? 
in in mm. terms of, of of plot. That's really interesting. Um, well, we'll get one more viewer question in before I know Danny's got some more hard hitting stuff. Um, but uh, just you mentioned Jim. Oh, Jim, just so casual, Sue so, so Lee. Oh. That's pretty funny. <laughs> hey, um, just on Jim. Obviously, you've written as you've mentioned a couple of times. You've written with. Uh, James Patterson a number of times. Here are some of the awesome books that uh, you've written with James. Is that the thing that, uh, you know, collaborating with him, is that the thing that uh, changed the most in your style is, is is making sure that you're always ending explosively or starting your ending your chapters with those moments? Or would you say something else uh, came out of that partnership which has sort of evolved your writing? Oh, yeah, it's probably that. That's that what has come out of the relationship is that critical eye to say this this section isn't working and I can tell you why because, mm. you know, analysing reader behaviour. Um, James, um, Jim, uh, he grew up in advertising so he is very aware of the consumer and what they want and he says to me all the time, you know, my readers uh, my, the bulk of my customers, they're well, women. Um, they're 40 to 80 years old. They like this. They, you know, most of them are college educated. Like he knows exactly what his market is. Mm. And that's what you're trying to do as a reader is manipulate, manipulate those people and give them what they want. And, and because, you know, you can sit there and write a book that pleases only you. Um, but, but what you're trying to communicate to a big audience, you're not just doing this alone. Uh, and I think it's an awareness of that to go, oh, hang on, who is my reader? Who, who are they and what do they want? And, you know, and uh, things, I swear less, there's no animal violence anymore. Uh, you know, I know that reader and I know what they don't like because <laughs> I'm very, very accurate with my plants because those ladies get annoyed. <laughs> or if you have plants that are blooming in seasons that they don't bloom, that really, that really gets their goat. Um, so <laughs> I don't do that anymore. Um, yeah, that's probably one of the major things that has come out of my relationship with Jim, but the best thing that has come out of my relationship with him is just having this cool, super cool dude in my life. Um, mm. You know, Jim has this public face as an author and people think they know certain things about him and but the, it, I get to see that private face, you know, I mm. call his house and he's like, he's like an uncle or something, you know, he, he answers the phone, he's like, you again, what do you want? I told you never called. You know, like he's really sassy and, uh, <laughs> and dry and um, he's just a delight, a delight in my life. And he really boosts me up mm. and uh, it's really nice to have him uh, just as a friend. Um, mm. I love that. I love that. And look, you're going to hate this question probably, Candice, because I know that writing is not easy and you've touched upon some dark moments of your career, etc. but... When I was reading The Chase, and it is complex and it is compelling and it is ambitious, and I think we mentioned that before, but you make it seem so easy. <laughs> I just want to know, how did you get to that point when you read it and you just think, this flawless book with these multiple threads, it's so complex, and yet, geez, it feels so easy. And I know it, I know it's not, but it's meant to feel that way for, as from a reader perspective, right? How do you do that? <laughs> You know, uh, a, a different kind of writer might say 
it's just genius. Uh, but <laughs> for me, it was another person. Uh, and I, you, know, you know what it is? It's editors. A bunch of editors. Like I have a go at it. And I and I think I know what I'm saying, and and then I have all of these people in my team who come in and they say, I I don't get this whole subplot. What is the deal with this dude? And or I want to see like things like uh, Axe, the serial killer, who's just kind of doors keep opening for him this horrible horrible person who just who's just skating through um, and killing people. He was originally just going to be the one vignette. Uh, and then one of the editors said to me, I want to see more of that guy. That guy's cool. Mm. Uh, and I went, oh, okay, sure. <laughs> you know, so I wrote, you know, seven more sections just because she said that. Uh, and, uh, and he's one of the most beloved <laughs> characters of the book for some reason, this horrible, vicious serial <laughs> who has a huge body count in the novel. He kills like 10 people. Uh, <laughs> um you know so things like that so so um it's there the mechanics the mechanics and and making it all work like clockwork really Mm. well world machine that's simply because i have an excellent team who 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 make sure it's not rough and they put the oil Mm. through and mm. Mm. You need a good team. You need good people. Um, last, uh, what well, we're coming to the end of this wonderful live stream, which is in partnership with Anna's shop around the corner and Neighbourhood Books. And thank you so much to both of those for coming on board. Hey, um, we've got a question here from Craig Sisterson. Uh, <laughs> let's get that one up. Uh, Kia Aura Candice, are you able to share any updates on the development of your Crimson Lake books into a TV crime drama series, Tropo. I've been hearing yeah. about this a lot too. Can you give us some exclusive stuff, Candice, or are you sworn to secrecy at the moment? Oh, look, I can tell you what I know. Um, I don't know everything. You would think that I would know everything. I, I want to know everything, but they, don't, they, they just don't tell me things. And sometimes I wonder if it's because I'm a blabbermouth. <laughs> 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 this is the life of the author whose stuff is being made into TV. But I know that Thomas Jane is starring as Ted. I know that Thomas Jane is a lovely man. Uh, I have talked to him extensively and he is a delight and very smiley, uh, which was a shock to me because you see him in The Punisher and all the different action movies he's done. He's very frowny and serious, you know, um, but he's a delight to talk to Um, and very funny and sassy, just like Jim. Uh, So I know that he's in it. And I know that they are filming in the Gold Coast and in Cairns. I know that they are starting to film mid-July. Uh, I don't know who Amanda is going to be. I know that they had a long list of 90, which mm. they cut down to 30, and then they cut down to six. And the last time I heard anything about it, it was six ladies. I said, who are they? And they said, we're not telling you. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, well, um, it'll be available all over the world. Um, it'll be streaming in the US. It'll be streaming in the UK. It'll be streaming in Germany. Um, yeah, that's all I know. That's, that's, all that's, I know. that's a bit exclusive. That's a lot of info. Sorry? We're very excited. That's a lot of info. We like it. And um, <laughs> we can't wait right. to see Tropo. Now, Danny, do we have to uh, – we've got the amazing, exciting job of picking a winner. Is that right? 
Absolutely. So I'm going to let you do that. And I'm going to ask Candice my final question. And I, I've asked you this before, so I've kind of changed it a little bit. I have, I've asked you before, why do you write? So now I want to ask you what keeps you writing? And then Adrian mm. will pick a winner and then mm. uh, we'll be right. Okay. What keeps me writing? Um, I love this life. This is a wonderful life. And I love interacting with readers. And I love bringing books into the world, the build-up of the excitement and all the fan mail and when are we going to get the book and then, you know, you release it and then you get all the mail afterwards. I love that this job allows me to be here for my daughter, to be here at home and and uh, and that kind of thing. And I love all the wonderful people I get to meet doing mm. this job, not only you know, publishers and other authors and readers, but then, like I said, it's serial killers, it's prison inmates, it's, you know, people, because I'm an author, people just want to tell me things. Um, mm. Cops want to talk to me. Murderers want to talk to me. I get letters from guys saying, hey, the police say I killed my wife and hit her under the highway in 1985. You want to know what really happened? Here's my mobile number, you know, stuff like that. So it's, it's weird. It's a weird and wonderful life and it really, really suits me as a person. Mm. <laughs> yeah. I know that's how hard it was to get here, so I feel incredibly lucky that I am here. So that's what keeps me writing, yeah. Yeah, I love that. I love all of that because there's so many answers that are professional and personal and make your life rich and interesting. Adrian, mm -hmm. who's our lucky winner? Thanks to Penguin. Our Random lucky House. winner of the wonderful new book, The Chase, which I absolutely loved. I didn't get through it in two days like Ben Hobson, but you can if you really put your mind to it. You could probably get through it in, in one day if you didn't have any sleep at all. Uh, our winner is Cassandra Hale. So Cassandra Hale Congratulations. We've picked you randomly and a copy of this fantastic latest book from Candace Fox, The Chase, which is awesome, from the queen of the creepily compulsive thriller herself is coming your way. So congratulations to you. Thanks for getting involved. Thanks, everybody. Yeah, thank you. And thank you through the comments. Oh, it's so, so it's great. And thank you so much, Candice. You're always such a pleasure to chat to. And thank you for being so candid about, you know, the, the dark side of your writing. I think it's actually, it was a dark story, but it's actually very inspiring because obviously you've you've gotten to this point. So it's always such a pleasure to speak to you. So honest and candid. So, and thank you to all the listeners and viewers out there too who contributed. Yeah, absolutely. It was fantastic. And uh, we should also thank once more uh, Neighbourhood Books in Melbourne and Anna's Shop Around the Corner in Sydney for co-hosting this live stream with us tonight. And, um, of course, there's plenty of other terrific uh, episodes of Words and Nerds on the podcast feed. Isn't that right, Danny? Absolutely. They're all there, more than 300 now. And Candice has been on three times now. What more could you want? <laughs> <laughs> I love it. It's a good podcast. The questions are interesting. It's good. Thank you. <laughs> Excellent. Thank you, Candice. Um, I think that's all from us, isn't it, Danny? Absolutely. Thank you so much for your time. I know it's uh, I know it's late when you've got a, a two-year-old, so thank you so much. Mm. It's um absolute honour to speak to you again. My pleasure. Bye, everyone. <laughs> Bye.